This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. And listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary the mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You guys can have a seat. Uh, my name is Amy, and I'm the executive pastor here, and it's great to be together. It's great to have kind of a full house after so many of you traveling for the last couple of weeks. So all through Advent and up through Christmas Eve and even last week, we've been reading the story of Jesus' birth that's told in Luke's Gospel. That's the version with all the really familiar parts. You've got the shepherds and the angels Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah and no room at the inn and going to Bethlehem, all of it. That's all in Luke. But today's story is different. It's from Matthew's gospel, not Luke's. And even though it's about Jesus' infancy, it's from Matthew chapter 2, not 1. Because Matthew chapter 1 is mostly a genealogy with just a couple sentences at the end about Jesus being born. So our passage tonight starts off, now after Jesus was born. Now after. And I love that the story of the Magi comes to us in the now after. It's an aftermath story. After the birth, after the angels, after life has returned to normal, after a few years have gone by. Now after. Here come the Magi with these weird and expensive gifts, and they remind us that something has happened. And Matthew sets his gospel in this now after, because Matthew really wants us to get that Jesus' birth is just the middle of a story that's been going on for a long time. A story about a king who's going to come and rescue his people. A story that doesn't end at the king's birth, story that goes all the way to his death and to his resurrection and to a new kingdom that will extend to the ends of the earth. And that's why one of Matthew's favorite books 
through all 28 chapters of Matthew, is, or his favorite verbs is fulfill, fulfill. He uses it over and over and over. Another way of saying it might be complete or culminate. And Matthew means fulfill in this really broad sense, not just in this formulaic way where this prophet predicted this thing and then Jesus did it, even though there is lots of that in Matthew, but Matthew thinks much more creatively about fulfilling. He sees Jesus fulfilling the whole sense of the Old Testament, not just the prophecies, but the whole sweep of the story, all of the history, all of the patterns, the culture, the sayings, the language itself. It's like when Matthew looks at the Old Testament, he sees it woven through with these threads of Jesus. And he has these special glasses to see those threads. He has these special tweezers that can pull them out. And he has this special needle that he uses to weave them into his gospel story. So that Matthew's gospel is just woven really tight with all of these Old Testament echoes and turns of phrase and allusions. And so because of that, just a tip for all of us, if you're going to read Matthew when you go home tonight, which I'm confident you are, anytime you're reading Matthew and the language just gets a little bit strange, or the story goes somewhere kind of unexpected, anytime you sort of pause and you're like, huh, that is a really weird way to say that, Matthew, it's probably because he's weaving in some Old Testament story. It's almost like he's referencing some obscure Jewish meme that his audience totally would have gotten, but that's a little hard for us to pull out. So it's just a good practice when Matthew makes you pause to just ask, is he doing one of those fulfillment things? And tonight he is, because Jesus' birth fulfills this old, old story, and Matthew wants to make sure that we get it all of it. But the rest of the book is about what comes next, about the now after, about why it matters. So let's look. The story opens in Bethlehem, and already there's all kinds of strange stuff happening. We have these wise men or magi from the east. We have a star that moves, and we have two kings. We have Jesus and Herod. And if you were paying really careful attention while I was reading, you might have noticed that the story actually doesn't ever tell us how many magi there were. The whole idea that there are three comes from the fact that later on there are three gifts. That's where the tradition comes to us. But actually, we have no idea the size of this entourage. But what we do know is that the magi were definitely not Jewish, they were scholars who specialized in things like astrology, astronomy, dream interpretation. And because those were really useful skills to kings and people in charge, they were often servants of kings. They were often dignitaries in ancient Persia and Babylon, modern-day Iran and Iraq. And back then, people used to assume that when someone really important was born, all these natural phenomena would happen too, like eclipses or earthquakes or signs in the heavens. And so magi were really useful because their whole thing was to interpret those signs, to look for them, to study them. 
And so that's what our magi are doing. They see a star that does something really strange, a star that rises. And somehow, we don't know how, but somehow this rising star communicates to them the ideas of birth, the ideas of kingship, and the ideas of Jewishness so compellingly that they decide to go, to leave their homeland, to go all the way to Jerusalem, to take this long journey to see this new king. Now, if you were a Magi and you thought a king of the Jews had been born, the natural place to go would be Jerusalem, the capital, the holy city, and the natural first stop in Jerusalem would be to Herod, the guy who's already the king of the Jews, because he probably knows what's going on. But this is really bad timing for that, because Herod is right at the end of his life. He's kind of lost his marbles by this point. He's really paranoid. He has been murdering everyone in his inner circle. And so it's kind of a terrible time for Herod to get surprised by these foreigners who show up and say, a new king has been born. Where is he? And to hear that he's missed the whole thing. His advisors have missed it. Somehow it was in the sky and they didn't know. So Herod wants to get to the bottom of this. He calls his Jewish scholars in and he says, hey, where is the Jewish Messiah supposed to be born? And so they tell him the prophecy from Micah and from 2 Samuel. He should be born in Bethlehem. So Herod tells the Magi, Bethlehem, why don't you go and check it out because I really want to go and worship him too. But of course, Herod is already planning this genocide. We know he doesn't intend to worship. Anyway, the Magi set out to Bethlehem, and reading from verse 9, it says, The star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So this is a really weird star, because stars don't rise or move, and they definitely don't hover. It's, there's all these different ideas out there about what this could have been, what sort of celestial things were happening around this time, but I don't want to zoom in there. I actually want to zoom out. I want to notice that this thing is getting strange. We have these foreigners following this moving star, bringing these expensive presents to this Jewish king. So I think this might be one of those moments that I talked about earlier, where you can step back and say, huh, this is weird. Maybe Matthew is doing one of those fulfillment things. Maybe there are certain details that he wants to emphasize because there's something he wants us to see. And there is. Because there's actually another place in Scripture where these non, or a non-Jewish mystic comes from the East. He sees a star mysteriously rise that tells him about the Messiah. And Matthew has pulled a lot of language from that story and put it in his story. In Numbers 24, a Gentile prophet from the East named Balaam sees a vision of the Messiah coming in the form of a star. In Numbers 24, 17, he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall rise out of Jacob, and a scepter shall come out of Israel. And actually, there's more. Because Matthew also pulls in the language of 1 Kings 10, when this other non-Jewish foreigner, the Queen of Sheba, 
comes to visit Solomon. She brings him gifts of gold and spices, very likely frankincense and myrrh. And Matthew knows how important this visit is in the Jewish imagination. He knows how his people are dreaming about another day like that. Instead of feeling like the world's cast-offs, suddenly the world's dignitaries are flooding into them, bringing lavish gifts for their king. We chanted about that in Psalm 72 earlier. It's in prophecies in Isaiah 60. And Matthew wants us to see it. He wants us to get all these echoes from Jewish poetry and Jewish prophecy and Jewish history. He wants our imaginations to be kindled so that we don't miss that the king is here. The king is here. Well, as I said before, the story that we read begins with now after. In some weeks when I'm preaching, it's really hard to kind of tease out those after connections to figure out, okay, how does this old story connect to our world and our headlines and our lives? But this just did not feel like one of those weeks because this week our story is kind of where the Magi story is. We're here in the aftermath of Christmas. We're returning to work. Our kids are going back to school. The trees are on the curb. The ornaments are boxed up. There's sort of that post-holiday depression. There's that New Year's anxiety. It's kind of settling into this season of, what next? And what's more, we're in the aftermath of a year of really deep and often painful divisions. There's been all this division in 2019 over immigration, over mass shootings. Remember Dayton and El Paso were this year? over the Mueller report, over the Kurds. We ended the year with an impeachment, and we're on the cusp of this new year that feels just full of uncertainty, especially as we see this conflict ramping up in the homeland of the Magi, in Iran. And it feels like there are Herods all around us, these paranoid, suspicious, sometimes violent leaders who don't want Jesus to be king. The day after Christmas, there was a video released by a terrorist group in Nigeria where they executed 11 Nigerian Christians. They said it was a message to all Christians in the world. And then in China, there's been this fresh wave of persecution, and in the past week, this pastor was sentenced to nine years in prison, and his charge was inciting to subvert state power. It's a very Herod sort of charge. And all of this together can start to make Christmas feel like a really long time ago. Like all the lights and the carols and the glory to God, all the candles. Like, did any of that even really matter? And so I'm really grateful that every January, our liturgical calendar brings us this story, this aftermath story of these foreigners who traveled after the birth in the dark for a long time because they believed it mattered. The birth of the king mattered. And we know what the now after for the Magi looked like because verse 10 tells us, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house, 
they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Exceedingly great joy, falling down in worship, opening their treasures. Like, if this is what the now after looks like, then this is actually really good news for us. So in a few minutes, we're going to have a time of silent reflection the way we always do. And I just want to issue you a few invitations, a few things to think about during that time. For one, I want to invite you to meditate on the reality that the king that we have been waiting for is here. We are living in this now after where the king and his kingdom have come, but it's not fully realized. And that's a hard way to live. It's a hard thing to hold on to. But Jesus is the king, and no Herod ever will be. There will be leaders who come and go on borrowed time. They will have their moment on the stage. They may even sow division. They may reap all kinds of hatred and discord. They may destroy things and exploit people. They may break our hearts. But Jesus is the king. And Jesus is a different kind of king. Jesus is a king who died for people who were his enemies. He reigns with love and justice and wisdom and peace. And Jesus is a king who all the nations of the earth will one day bow down and worship and bring their gifts. So as we look at a year ahead, at a year that is already feeling pretty full of uncertainty, a year that has an election, how can we rest in the kingship and the kingdom of Jesus? How can we live as though that is really true? Secondly, I just want us to notice that the first people who grasped this kingship of Jesus, they were not the Jerusalem elites, they were not the Jewish scholars, they weren't the religious people, they were foreigners. God's plan all along was for his kingdom to extend beyond Israel to the ends of the earth and for all people to get included in that fulfillment of the promised redemption. And we want this church to look like that. We want incarnation to be a place where people from all nations and languages and backgrounds come and worship. Not so we can look hip or diverse or check some token boxes, but because that is what the kingdom of God looks like. So I want to invite you to join me in praying this year for Magi, for people who are curious, people who are outside the faith, people who might be outside our comfort zone, but people who come seeking a king. And that our church would be marked by the kind of exceedingly great joy that comes when people encounter Jesus for the first time. And then one final invitation. I want you to consider what it might mean for you to open your treasures and offer your gifts. And I'm actually not primarily talking about your money or your time, although that might be just the place that God wants to talk to you about this. I actually want to be really clear. I'm not asking you to start the year with a sense of obligation. 
What I'm really talking about is opening up the treasure of yourself. I'm talking about entering 2020, daring to believe this life-changing reality that the King of Heaven is here. He has already died for us. He loves you. Daring to believe that you have treasures to bring. And I want you to ask God, how can I bring more of myself to you this year? And I want to say that without a doubt, the thing that has brought me the most joy over this past year in being an executive pastor has been seeing so many of you do this. Seeing the way you open up your treasures and bring your gifts. And sometimes when I think about our church, I actually have this picture in my mind that it's like a parade where we are all streaming towards the altar and we are all carrying our gifts. You all bear these incredible treasures within yourselves. These vulnerabilities, these stories, these hidden talents and experiences, these desires and hopes. And I love watching you open them and share them with this community in worship. So, three invitations to rest in Jesus' kingship, to be on the lookout for magi, and to open your treasures. Let's take a moment to be quiet. Think about the now after Jesus was born.